Everybody's Talking with T, the talk show designed to engage, educate, empower, and encourage the community is on. I bring you greetings for this meeting of hot topic and trending news that will educate and also amuse you on this Memorial Day edition of Talking with T. I'm Tanisha Baker, your host with the most of what you need to know to learn and grow. Today is May 29th, and if today is your birthday, you share it with your birthday mates, former U.S. President John F. Kennedy, basketball player Carmelo Anthony, actress Laverne Cox, and the late comedian Bob Hope, as well as pop singer Reby Jackson and Latoya Jackson, both of the famous Jackson family. On this date in history, Thomas Bradley was elected as the first black mayor of Los Angeles. It was also on this day that Sojourner Truth delivered her famous Ain't I a Woman speech at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention, and Buck O'Neill became the first black coach of the Chicago Cubs in 1965. As I mentioned, today is Memorial Day, which always falls on the last Monday in May. This day is set aside to honor the memory of all the men and women who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. This is different than Veterans Day, which is a day set aside to honor all of the men and women who have served in the U.S. military. The theme this month has been mind-blowing in May. Each week, I shared some facts and stories that are mind-boggling and hard to believe. And this week, I have a few more facts to share. There are more stars in space than there are grains of sand on every beach in the world. A banana is actually classified as a berry, while a strawberry is not. I also read that Tupac's ashes were smoked along with marijuana by his friends. It blows my mind that if you take all the molecules in a teaspoon of water and line them up end to end in a single file line, they would stretch about 30 billion miles. We were able to put a man on the moon before people thought to put wheels on a suitcase. And now let's hop into our happy highlights. It's obviously been a long time coming, but the Beckley Police Department in West Virginia just welcomed its first ever black female cop. High school African-American student, Junior Jameer Smith, has been accepted to all eight Ivy League schools and has received 33 full-ride scholarships. He has a 4.43 GPA and an impressive high school football career. He says that he doesn't plan to make football a career, but would be willing to give the NFL a shot for some fast money. He plans his career to be in the medical field as an anesthesiologist. A dark-skinned 10-year-old girl suffered from bullying at a school from her white peers, and so she changed schools only to suffer from it again from black students. A teacher once gave her a black crown to draw herself instead of a brown one. Her 22-year-old sister listened to her complain of the bullying and decided to show the world in a tweet how beautiful her little sister was. The Twitter pictures went viral with the hashtag flexing in her complexion. 10-year-old Karis had a big confidence boost after seeing that more than 83,000 likes were accumulated on her Twitter pictures. She then decided to create her own clothing line with shirts displaying flexing in my complexion. She knows that other girls suffer from bullying as well as low self-esteem due to their dark complected skin. You have to check out my website or social media outlets to see this girl. I mean, she is absolutely stunning and I'm so glad that she is now okay to live in the skin she's in. And finally, Abasi Shaw became the first Harvard student to create a rap album as a senior thesis. His album is dedicated to the plight of Black Americans and he received an A. I commend him for taking the risk 
to be authentic in his submission, and I also commend his professor for receiving it as a legitimate thesis. Keep it where it's at. We'll be right back after we hear our tip from Tarika. Hello, this week's tip is don't be the reason nobody wants to fool with your child. We all know we have parents and we may be that parent, but sometimes we have to look in the mirror and take a reflection, take a look at ourselves and how we act around our kids and about our kids. If we are at a game or if we are at a performance or if we're at the school, there is a certain way that we need to act as parents, even if someone else is wrong, there is a way that we can get our point across without getting wrong with the person who has wronged our child. For example, there are sometimes parents who think their kid never should come off the court, never should come off the field, and insist on bullying coaches and screaming and hollering. and It's all about their kid. It's not all about your kid. That's hard for us as parents to realize sometimes. I mean, I have had to step back sometimes and say, wait a minute, this is a team sport. He's not the only one on the team. And once I did that, I was better for myself. I was a better parent. He was a better kid. He didn't have to worry about getting embarrassed. Sometimes the kids want us as parents just to cheer for them. Don't argue for them. Don't holler at them. Don't embarrass them. And if you are a parent who acts a fool all the time, chances are nobody wants to fool with your kid. There are opportunities your kid can miss and will miss because of you. So if you want to bear that and that's something that you can deal with or if you can pay for everything or you can pay for them to go to college or whatever, mm, more power to you. But if you are acting a fool at the expense of your child just because, then I think you need to reel it back in. It's not about you. It's not always about the kid in a certain situations. In some situations, we have to act a fool, but not all situations. So please be careful. Pick and choose which times you want to act up and which times are appropriate and which times are not. Don't be the cause of nobody wanting to be bothered with your kid because of this is the tip of the week. and. I've been talking with T. All right. Well, it's that time of the show when I am bringing on a special guest that I am so excited for you all to meet. If you don't yet know, Corey Legend Hodge. So, Corey, welcome to Talking with T. I appreciate being invited, Mel. Thank you. Oh, you're you're more than welcome. It's our, it's our pleasure to have you here. So. There's a lot we could talk about, but I do want to make sure that we highlight. You recently wrote a book. You self-published, am I correct? Yes, ma'am. I did self-publish. You self-published. Okay. Well, the title of the book is As the Sun Smiles. And I was fortunate, because I know you, to get an edition of the book early and read it. And I recently finished it and it's going to be hard for me to talk about it without sharing any spoilers, but it is, it's an awesome book. It's great. And with my schedule to keep my attention to speak for, <laughs> to speak along for how, how good this book is. So, Corey, what inspired you to write this book? It's, um, it's many things that sort of inspired me. Um, when you, when you think about, um, what it takes to write a book, it's it's a lot of things that, especially being from East Knoxville, that we kind of overlook with um, our capabilities. It's, um, I've always been interested in poetry and um, writing. I've always been um, adept in being able to write um, content. But mm-hmm. one day I sat down and I was like, so what's keeping you from writing a book? And I sat down and I thought about it and then the answer came, it was just myself. There's nothing that's in any kind of, and this is not in a competitive sense, but there's nothing that's um, any other kind of successful author that isn't, that can't be found in myself. 
um, the only thing that's keeping me from doing that is myself, which is what's called learned helplessness. And I wanted to mm. overcome that. I wanted to show individuals that, you know, a simple individual from East Knoxville was able to write a book. And I'm part of, as you know, East Knoxville, so many different things and stereotypes are associated with East Knoxville. And here I am again, a student who came from East Knoxville who went to the University of Tennessee and wrote what well, um, many feel is a good book. So I just wanted oh, to... Oh, no, it's a good you. book. It's a good book for <laughs> sure. In fact... Um, you recently, I know you can get the book on Amazon and I'm going to share the link and the ways to get this book because people are going to want to read. I just don't want them to be on the tail end when you're on Oprah and everybody else. I'm glad to be one of the first ones to get to talk to you. Now tell us the award that it won already. It has won a national award. It's called the National Indies Excellence Awards. And this is a competitive thing. Um, the book has been, um, it's been published since December, but I didn't release it, and I had it in my head just to um, sort of put it into um, a competition to see how well it would do. And I oh, okay. Me, I, I'm, I'm very confident in my capabilities, so don't get me wrong, but I entered it into this competition, and I was thinking, eh, maybe um, a good job or something like that, but I received the email saying congratulations, and even when I saw that email, I walked in one day at um, work, and I'm like, wait, this might just be spam or something. And, then I <laughs> right. and I saw that, goodness, I won a very competitive, this was the 11th annual um, celebration of the award. And, okay. again, this is, this is um, if you look on that website, again, the National Indies Excellence Awards, the individuals who were um, runner-up to me um, were phenomenal authors with phenomenal books. And for this to be my debut novel and to do so well, I was dumbfounded. Honestly, I still, I'm waiting to wake up from it, from the dream. Cool. I got a little rain in my eyes right now. <laughs> so much is flooding my head. One, I'm just so proud of you. Yes, winning the award, rising above the stereotypes in the East Knoxville. I think you just used the term learned helplessness, which you have overcome and took a risk into doing something like you said you know you were capable of doing. I also know that your story is more than the story that's in this book. You have a personal story. Um, And so if you wouldn't mind, because I met you years ago. Um, I don't know if you remember when I was working at Vine Middle School, actually um, doing some work, and now we both work for Project Grad Knoxville. But just kind of starting that journey, and I just remember you, and I'm so proud of the man you've become. But if you could back us up in time a little bit and share your journey, because I think when people read the book, they will be able to pick pieces out of the story that parallel your life. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, um, grew up, even though I was born in Marietta, Georgia, my first memories were here in Knoxville. Um, East Knoxville is pretty much where I was raised at. So I have a lot of pride in um, East Knoxville. Um, mm-hmm. the, a good portion, um, the, actually not a good portion, the actual book, the protagonist, grows up in the uh, non-nuclear family in a single-parent household, which, again, was something that that's where I come from, a single-parent household. I was raised by my mom, and this was a mm-hmm. woman who strived um, to support for her child. Um, I have um, I have a great relation uh, relationship with my father. I love him, but it was with my mom. That's who raised me. And mm-hmm. in 2007, again, growing up, I'm used to me and her, this that, and the other every day. And 2007, that summer, I was admitted into Children's Hospital. I had brain, I had several brain abscesses as well as meningitis. And this was something that for an individual who know and individual who may not know, these separately are very uh, dangerous, fatal um, illnesses, and I have both mm-hmm. of them. And so I go through the summer. I'm not realizing what it is that I have, but then next thing I know, in the hospital, and um, I was told later that they were expecting me to pass. But by the grace of God, here I am. But it was um, after surgery, several surgeries, um, um, they had put me um, into uh, this one bedroom, and I was pretty much told that I was going to be able to leave. Oh, great. And just one day randomly, um, 
I was sitting in the room with my a good friend of mine, Joe Davis, and several individuals came into my room and told me my mom had passed. And this was this is something that is still hard for me to kind of accept to this day. Like this, I was told I'm the one on the deathbed, and then out of nowhere, she was the one that passed. And to this day, I, I feel like she had some kind of direct conversation with God, asking for her life over mine. And mm. ever since that day. Um, that's that's literally been the foundation of my drive. It's to live. She um she didn't accept anything less than excellence from me. She knew I was a excellent individual, and she didn't accept C's. So I never brought home C's. And even after she passed, and my aunt Sherelle, her sister, she raised me. Um, she adopted me from that point. Both um I wanted to please both of them, so I still continue to bring home A's. I graduated mm-hmm. Austin East as um salutatorian. Um, I went to the University of Tennessee, graduated in four years, cum laude, and was able to give the actual um, graduation speech. And it was just ever since, again, from 2007 up to this very point, I have a drive to showcase excellence for um, first my mom, then for the entire community showcasing, again, what it is that we all are capable of doing. Because, again, I'm not some kind of, to, um, humbly, um, I guess I'm uh, I'm a very humble individual, but I'm not some kind of um, genius individual or this, that, or other. I'm a very, I'm just a, a average individual that has a lot of work ethic. I have a lot of grit. Mm-hmm. I strive for excellence. So it's, it's it's something that I'm trying to showcase to, um, so that other individuals, I'm trying to move mountains so that I'm trying to tilt the world so that other people from East Knoxville, from North Knoxville, so that later they can completely turn the world upside down. So that's that's pretty much my whole strife from where I am to this day. Yeah, and I watch you. You know, you have the opportunity, and you can't tell me that God didn't have his hand on this design because you have the opportunity to work directly with young people in our community, the same young people that, you know what I mean, that you're familiar with because you're from the same community. And I know that that, brings a different angle to how they receive you, how to, how they receive your accomplishments, and how you become a role model. And essentially, and I tell people this, if we're in this community, we're all role models. Just now. Now. That's a big responsibility. Of course, of course. And those of us that choose to take it seriously and to be a positive role model, to leave a positive pathways for our kids to follow is very important. And then, again, we have to overshadow the stereotypes and everything else that's designed to stifle the potential or the capability of the kids that we're working with. And so just what you're doing is so, so unexplainably important and impactful um, to our community. But then to read the book. Because, you know, I first picked it up, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is my friend. He wrote a book. You know, I'm on (laughs) – I'm going to go ahead and read it a little bit. And then, you know, and I said I got to a certain point of the book where literally I could not put it down. And if I did, I had to back up and make sure I was back on track. You are masterful with your words. I mean, literally, you can paint a picture with your words. And so, like I said, listeners, make sure that you log on to www.talkingwitht.com under today's show. So you can find out a little bit more about the book, where you can purchase it. I know it's on Amazon. Yes, ma'am. And you can also get contact information for Corey because, I don't know, maybe you have a youth group or something you want him to come and speak and share his story or his journey. Uh, But I just want to thank you for carving out a little time today and to come on talking with T. I so appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, before we completely sign off, is there anything that I'm leaving out that we need our listeners to know? Yes, ma'am. The same thing I tell every one of the individuals who um, have bought the book directly from me or who told me that they have bought the book. This, um, as you're reading it, this book, given it's a dystopian fiction. It's completely made up, but it is very relative to um ourselves, to our lives, our communities, our culture, especially here in America, um, as you read it, really ask yourself, what is strength? 
that's why uh, that's why I ask every one of the individuals that same question. What is strength? Um, paint that picture in your head. What does strength um, look like? What does strength feel like? When in the book, um, when there's an implosion, when war comes pretty much to America instead of us going to war, when it starts, um, when it when it's happening in Knoxville and then expanded to the entire nation to an international thing, what does strength really look like? Um, this is something that I had to sit down, I had to meditate on when I was writing the book, and there was a few things that um, caught my mind and caught my attention. I wanted to definitely um, answer that question um, within this novel to the audiences because to many individuals, they don't really realize how strong um, they really are based off of societal concepts of that term, strength. So, again, it's, it's definitely relative to every individual to ask that question, what is strength? And then by the time you um, finish the book, you have a very, um, you have a closer understanding of um, the answer to that question, again, what is strength? So that's one right. thing I definitely want people to um, be conscious of as they're reading. All right. Well, Corey, I'll let you go for now until the next award comes. Or the next book is published. I, I want to make sure that I have my rights yes, to my yes, exclusive ma'am. interviews and my <laughs> pre-editions. And the only thing that's missing, I believe, is your signature in my book, but we can take care of that later on this yes, week. Yes, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Yes, ma'am. I hope you have a good day. Let's check out today's Monday Minute Quick Bits. The U.S. might ban laptops on all flights into and out of the country as added precautions against potential security threats. Eight people, including a sheriff's deputy, were shot to death in rural Mississippi on this past Saturday morning. It seems to be the result of some domestic dispute. The shooting spree spread over three locations. At one scene were the bodies of three women and the deputy. At two separate homes were the bodies of two boys, an adult man, and another adult woman. LeBron James officially topped Michael Jordan's record as the all-time playoffs scoring leader. There is a multi-state effort underway to address the opiate epidemic. There has been a recent surge in overdose deaths and babies born suffering from withdrawal. A Georgia Civil War Museum is closing down because the county asked it to remove a Confederate flag from public land that was in front of the building. Well, and while I'm on the topic, a new bill signed into law last Wednesday in Alabama makes it illegal to remove Confederate monuments. Sadly, a daycare worker was arrested after being caught on video torturing an eight-month-old to death. On the tape, she was seen yanking the infant violently and putting blankets and pillows over her face. The daycare worker, Leah Walden, was arrested and faces first and second degree murder charges. This just sickens me. How in the whole entire world did she get a job as a daycare worker when she obviously was not suited for this profession? Now take note of this next story. We talk about people not getting together, but some black parents in Mississippi did just that and they are suing Mississippi schools. The Southern Poverty Law Center filed the lawsuit on behalf of four black mothers who say that their children's rights have been violated. They believe that black children in Mississippi schools are being denied their right to equal education. All right, so now it's time for our trending news and review with our lead investigator, most often instigator, P.I. Pam, and the know-it-all and wise Professor Jay. So if you have paid any attention to recent media, you've noticed, as I have, that the term lynching is coming up more often. And so last Saturday, we were saddened about the stabbing of a student, Richard Collins III, on the campus of the University of Maryland. And this despicable killing of this young man cut to the core, of, I feel, of racism. 
This was an innocent, respectable young man with a lot of potential. His life was taken right before his graduation. And now Collins was honored during the commencement ceremony in which he should have been a part of. But the reason I bring this up is to talk about the term lynching, which was used to describe his killing. Now, I originally thought that lynching directly described or referred to hanging. Did y'all, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that would be okay. the, the connotation. Okay, well, I just want to make sure I wasn't alone in that thinking. But actually, the term lynching means a spectacular murder that serves as a warning to a whole group. So that term came about, I guess, during the Jim Crow era and during the Civil Rights Movement when people would make these public killings or do things um, as a warning. So I thought, like, I guess like many other people, it was just with hanging. But it's any murder, I guess, that's done in a way to kind of send a message. So back to Collins now. I originally read that his murder was being considered a hate crime. But since that time, it's been concluded that there was not enough evidence to consider as that. So I'm curious what is needed. What evidence qualifies killing someone out of hate as a hate crime? Right, what do you need? Right. Uh, and the perpetrators of his murder most likely were not of the same race as he so, yeah, it would seem like to me uh, that this would definitely be a hate crime. And I'm like you. What more evidence would one need in order for it to be concluded that it is indeed a hate crime? Right. And it seems in some locations, you know, they get it and they quickly consider crimes of this sort under the hate crime, you know, category. But then there are some judges or whatever that just, I don't know what they need. But it's in those places, I believe, in those instances that make people think that they can get away with it and that they're not calling it what it is. And until we face those demons, I think they're going to continue to exist. And didn't these guys, hadn't they said previously, you know, that they were, you know, said some racial things? So yes. They're not going to hold that into account as they might have just picked it, randomly picked him out. Right. That's what's confusing me. and. It's bothering me a little bit that they're not considering that. You know, like I said, some places do. Like um, there was another stabbing on the train this past week where these two black guys were defending these two women. This guy was, I guess, yelling racial slurs. These women appeared to be Muslim, and he was verbally attacking them. And when the two guys tried to intervene, he killed them. He stabbed them to death. Y'all remember that? That was this week. Yes, it was. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so they did consider that a hate crime. I'm just trying to figure out similar scenario why one place calls it that and the other one doesn't because I know the consequence or the penalty for the hate crime is a little stiffer um, than if it's not labeled as that. So I don't know. But what we do know is that racism is alive and thriving in our country, whether they want to call it that or not. And like I said, we need to talk about it. We need to face it. We need to have conversations there more than just among ourselves because we know it exists, you know. Right. But we need to break down the walls that build these, I guess, the ignorance between classes, between races or whatever. So I recently read where African-American students attending Duke Divinity School are experiencing racism to a heightened degree to the point they said it was like, you would think it were in the 60s. And they're called the N-word and other racial slurs in class, and they consistently receive lower grades than their white colleagues. And it's shameful because I'm thinking this is a, they said divinity school, this is a program designed to learn the ways of Jesus. So how that was, are they okay? exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, right. This is a a religious facet of a university, you know, like you said, where uh, these students are learning the ways of God. And if they study from the Bible, which clearly says to love your neighbor as yourself, why would you subject uh, the students to those types of treatment? Clearly, 
not anywhere in the 66 that I've read. They must be reading from extra books that didn't quite make it. Right, right, right. Because they said it got so bad that it got so bad that some of the students there had to leave. And that's crazy. And then you have this crazy girl that I know, I don't know if y'all seen the video that's circulating, this crazy, I don't know who, who raised her, this young black girl in this video with some other students that aren't the same color as her, and they're staging a, a actual lynching. She's hanging up, and they're pulling on the rope, and she's slobbering like her feet shaking like she's dead. It, it was circulating like it was real, but then someone said that it was fake, and I'm thinking, why would you even put yourself in that situation to stage something like that? How did they get her to go along with it? That's what I said. Who raised her? Who, where did she come from? Who created yeah. her? Because it couldn't have been, even if mine went near something like that, that'd been the last thing. I've been like, Lord, I know you, please don't tell me you want your baby back this soon because it's about to be Because why would you do uh, something like that? And it was going, you know, people were sending it through, you know, inboxes, like, make this public, you know, thinking it was real. It looked real until someone said that it was it was fake, they they staged it and all this, but why would you even stage something like that? Well, again, I feel like our youth, many of them have been desensitized. That's one thing. They think it's a joke. You know, they don't remember and it, what it's like to live through the civil rights movement, and maybe they haven't experienced racism to the point that they would understand that that wasn't funny, that wasn't cute, you know, that people were going to be upset by that. So how they got her to join along means I'm talking, she has to be slower than slow. Like she, something has to be wrong with her. I, we don't have all the details of the story, but I'm just going to rest on the fact something has to be wrong with her. Hmm. Yeah. And I, to some degree, would even fault her parents because, you know, uh, many of our young people, like you said, have not lived through uh, the discrimination that many of our parents face, but even at the same time, if the parents had faced discrimination and racism, it's one of those things you pass down to your children, and you you know you tell them, hey, this is what I went through, and you know don't be ignorant to uh, what you see around you and what you see going on, you know, so. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, I didn't grow up in the, in the civil rights era as my parents, and but at the same time, you know, I'm not, I'm not blind to the game though, you know, I right. call foolishness when I see it. So I attribute a lot of that to the teachings of my parents and hearing their stories and what they went through. So I, to some degree, like I said, fought this young lady's parents for allowing her to even be simple enough to subject herself to that. And then she was only female. It was all males, all white males doing it, too. Oh, uh, see, that's a, that's a whole other layer of foolishness. <laughs> yes. It's even, I'm thinking maybe she doesn't have parents because, like you said, it's our job to raise our children, and whether it's your own biological child or children you come in contact with, it's our job to make sure that they understand our history. It's our job to make sure that they don't succumb to the ignorance and the bigotry and the prejudices and all of those things that are plaguing us right now. We're trying to fight something that she's going to participate in. I'm not scared. I'm just going to, like I said, I'm resting on the fact she don't have parents, something's wrong with her and everything else. It's, it's right. no way. And and it seems to me that there's just some blurred lines. Like some people don't even know when they're being offensive. Because there was this junior high school in Texas that passed out class superlatives. And, you know, many schools do that in classes at the end of the year, and they come up with cute little um, superlatives for the students or whatnot. But check out these. One award was most likely to become a terrorist. Now, keep in mind, this is being passed out, put in a student team. Okay. Another award was most likely to blend in with white people. They had given this to a little black girl. I'm trying to think. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
That probably been mine. <laughs> well, not in physical appearance because she yeah. is, you know, I mean, she's a dark-skinned girl, so I'm not sure what that means. But that's the award they gave her. And then they gave another award, most likely to be homeless in Guatemala. I said, who, who thought these were cute? That's why our kids act crazy. Some adult right. thought this was okay, right, and let them pass these out to students. This is ridiculous. Those kids, their feelings were hurt. It wasn't funny to and them. Then there, and then there was another uh, school where they were giving out these uh, similar superlatives for uh, there was a young lady who was voted least likely to pay attention. and of Least course, likely to what? Least likely to pay attention. Okay. And this this student has a medical diagnosis of ADHD. Oh. And so, yeah. And then, uh, needless to say, the mother was highly upset and rightfully so, you know. And I think uh, sometimes students, I'll, I'll just put it like that, students use ADHD as a crutch, but if there is a, if there is a verifiable diagnosis by a medical professional, which your student has, then for that school to pass out a superlative with that designation for that child is extremely insensitive. And uh, from what I uh, read leading up to this broadcast, uh, the school was investigating how these awards managed to, you know, make the cut because apparently there was not a level of approval that was met. So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how do you fix your mind and your mouth and your hands to pass out awards like these to students without being sensitive to their backgrounds and to, you know, their circumstances and their situations? And in this era of social media and how nothing is temporary and, the fact that they are going to have to live this down for gosh knows how long, how do you even do that? Right. Because they pass through an adult's hand somewhere. Right. Right. You can't do nothing now without it being on social media. I don't, you could think right. you've been slick if you want to. Somebody's going to snap a picture. It don't take long to snap a picture. Right. Right. And if some kid, and see, they, I don't know if they think that kids don't get it. But they do, and they go home, and they tell their parents, you know what I mean? Like, they understand it was stupid. They they didn't appreciate that as an award, so I don't know. But another story trending in the news is that another federal prosecutor, or shall I say another black federal prosecutor, has been found dead. Barrington Wazenot, Jr. was found dead this past Wednesday with possible head trauma on a beach in South Florida. Now, he was 37 years old. He had just joined the U.S. Attorney's Office this past January. And if I'm not mistaken, is this not like the third story in the past few months where mm -hmm. uh, someone's questionably come up dead and all of the right. same race? I, I don't know what kind of phenomenon this is. Right, because I was I – was, just as you mentioned that, I was thinking back to the judge who was mysteriously found dead. I think it was, what, in New York mm -hmm. about a month or so ago? Right. And they're uh, still trying to say that's a suicide, and the husband is not, he is sticking to his guns. He is not letting that go. He said she was never, ever killed. Right. Herself. Right. And I think people are starting to believe him. And I think right from the beginning, there was some questions. Now, they wanted to easily pass it off as that, and I don't know who's in cahoots uh, and the whole story behind that, and we may never know, but I tend to believe him, you know, based on just what we saw and what we read. Well, on a lighter note, I guess, as it were, I thought Ben Carson had faded off into the shadows, oh, but apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be singing again. <laughs> yes, I think he's still around. Let me tell you what he said. You know, he's walk. I don't even know how he's walking around because he keeps one foot in his mouth. But anyway, <laughs> after recently stating that poverty is quote a state of mind, I was thinking to myself. I was trying to dissect that. 
I was trying to give them benefit of the doubt, but there is none. Poverty is a state of mind. You mean to tell me that not having enough food to eat, struggling to pay your bills, keeping a roof over your head is a state of mind that you really not broke? You just imagining that? Them hunger pains when your stomach be growling? You imagining that? All right. You know, keep in mind now, this the same man that said slaves were immigrants. Why is he still talking? Who is allowing him to speak? Why? Who gives him the microphone? What? What? Who gets him to come to these functions and let him talk? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? But you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like the meme. I'm like the meme that says, "If I speak, I'm going to cuss." Because you know, he <laughs> don't he, speak. He, 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 keep, he keeps compounding his foolishness from what he says out of his mouth. His non-singing wife and her bad wardrobe. So let's move on. Oh, oh, oh! Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jay. Speaking of speaking of his wife, I saw a picture of her, and I'm gonna have to find it and put it on talking with T. I thought Ooh. we were moving because I, I I feel a cut. She had on um, black stockings and white shoes. Back to her. Move, move quickly. Next story, because I, I move uh, on. You want me move quickly? Yes. Hurry, hurry, hurry. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay. I will move on to the crazy chronicles, Jay. I'm moving quickly as I can. Wait, can I ask a quick question? Because I just, uh, you were talking yeah. and I may not have heard. Did she, did she say black stockings and white shoes? Uh, uh, okay, I'm moving on. I, I'm moving on. Okay. In a, in a little hole in the front of the shoe, the little peekaboo hole. Pam. 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 Let's move. Okay, <laughs> moving. We moving on. All right, John. Moving on. Well, I got a story. Two men forced an alligator to drink beer, so they poured beer down the throat of an alligator, and they're facing harassment charges. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't face charges or anything, but whenever I see people doing this ridiculous stuff to animals and they get charged, I still can't help but to feel some sense of resentment when I know things that are happening to our youth and and some of the, you know, black men in America and people getting away with it. But getting back to this story, um, I guess they posted it, you know, as smart as they are on social media, knowing most social media. I mean, once you do that, you it's need to be proud of it. It's a wrap. Yeah, you might as well be proud of it because it's going somewhere. It's no deleting it because people screenshot so quick. I mean, you you can hang that up. But anyway... Um, Joseph Andrew Floyd, who's 20, and Zachary Lloyd Brown, 21, of Richland, they are accused of harassing wildlife. And it took place this past Wednesday. Yeah, they, shame on them. Harassing wildlife. But who thinks of stuff like that? Well, so I guess the joke was what they wanted to, huh? How much beer did they drink before they made the alligator drink the beer? That's what I want to know. I don't know. They, they, Forced the beer down his throat and then watched it swim away in a pond. So I guess maybe they wanted to see. I don't. I have no words. I mean, no explanation. I don't know. How did that get to be charged so fast? And, and like you said, we can't get uh, people to get charged for serious stuff. But they and it was the alligator was walking across the street. It was homeless. Why who, is the alligator gonna come to court? I mean, I'm really wondering <laughs> what's gonna happen. The alligator. The alligator somewhere drunk. So I, I don't know, but you anyway. But the alligators are protected under federal state law, and so I guess you know that heightened the offense a little bit. I don't know. Well, maybe okay, I got one more. Getting ready to get a pair of shoes or something. I don't. I'm the whole deal. I don't know. Well, they let the alligator swim away. How are they gonna get the shoes? So they should Is the alligator drunk enough and it's both of us had the head? Oh. <laughs> Bam, shoes. Okay. <laughs> well, I got one more. One more story. Because you know every week, well, we don't share all the stories, but we come across where somebody has some, like, crazy lawsuit or whatever, right? Um, well, this week, Jelly Belly, you know, you know the jelly beans. The My name brand. in life, mm -hmm. yes. Go okay. <laughs> well, Jelly Belly's being sued by, there's nothing wrong with the Jelly Beans, Jay, so you don't, don't worry about that. 
But they are being sued because this woman claims that she didn't know that jelly beans had sugar in them. And she said she was tricked to believe that they were sugar-free. And so she's blaming them for phrasing their product, I guess, in a way that tricked her. And okay. she purchased her. Let me interject as a connoisseur of jelly beans, particularly jelly bellies. Um, I do know that there are sugar-free versions of jelly bellies, and they very clearly state on the package, sugar-free. Right. So obviously, this heifer don't know that water is wet either. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Okay, so let me tell you what it says. It says, and I don't know if uh, they say ignorance is no excuse of the law or whatever, but it says that these are called sport, Jelly Belly Sports Beans, and it's marketed as an exercise supplement, which contains carbohydrates, electrolytes, vitamins, and evaporated cane juice. So what she's saying that instead of just calling it sugar, they call it evaporated cane juice. And by it being marketed as an exercise supplement, that they're basically tricking people into eating these, not realizing that they still contain sugar. Now, evaporated cane, I mean, Jay, I don't. Like sugar cane? Yeah. Okay, so she, okay. That's what I was about to say, and, and Pam, you know, you're, you're the medical professional of the three of us. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't sugar a carbohydrate? Yes, it is. Okay, well, where's, where's the nearest seat factory for this woman? Because she needs to have all the seats in the seat factory in this spot. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's the thing now. Now, here, so... Jelly Belly called the case nonsense, right? Says no reasonable yeah, consumer no, could have been. Dis- all right. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay, y'all. But wait a minute. In May of 2016, the FDA announced that the term juice could not be used unless referring to that of a fruit or vegetable. So calling sugar evaporated cane juice is, in fact, misleading to consumers. And I agree. She she really had to look into this. She did. She tried to get her coins. Yeah, she must have been sitting at home and, and she ate a big bag of them and felt so bad. She was like, you know what? I'm about to fix these jelly belly folks. <laughs> well, maybe she was on a diet and thought she was eating something without sugar. And then, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what. She did do her research. I mean, she did. first of all, I do agree with this. If it has sugar in that, call it sugar. Why call it? What it what what was it called? Uh, evaporated extracted. Cane yeah, evaporated cane juice. I mean, come on now. This like sugar. She must have been on. She must have been on that other cane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in love with the cocoa. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> she had to be. <laughs> Oh, Lord, people, people, people will do anything to sue. I mean, you've had people sue that, you know, the, the hot coffee fell on me when the big sign on the cup says extremely hot or, you know, it's always something. Dang. The lady that sued McDonald's because the Big Mac, he thought it had two pieces of cheese on it. They only put one slice on her now. This is stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people kind of make their, their living looking for lawsuits, you know. So, yeah, that's true. I guess if they're that ingenious, I don't know. I, I don't have that to do, but I'm just sharing the little story with y'all, and that's all I got. So <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's it for this bit, and I can't wait to talk to you all next week because it is our two-year anniversary, and I, I just can't wait to see what y'all have to say. And I can't Woo! wait to see <laughs> <laughs> and you know I'm going to say it. Yes, yes, two years. Before I close the show, I have just a couple of announcements. Make plans to attend the community input meeting regarding the selection of a new principal for Green Magnet Academy. It is important that the community speaks up 
for what it needs in a liter for our elementary babies. Just to plant a couple of seeds, we need someone who reflects the population we serve and that will continue in the direction and growth and the culture of collaboration and community that was set by the previous principal. The meeting will be on Tuesday at 6 p.m. in the library at Green Magnet Academy. You can check out my website or social media for the flyer. Also, save the date of June 17th to attend the Ladies' Night of Soul, hosted by Cherie Williams at the Soul of Motown in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. You can get more details on the Ladies' Night of Soul event page on Facebook, which I will have linked for you from my page and website. We discuss many topics on Talking With T, and if you would like to share your thoughts or opinions, call 865-409-1170. Again, our call-in line is 865-409-1170. We would love to hear from you. Well, once again, we've come to the end. But stay engaged by visiting www.talkingwitht.com and following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, you can listen to Talking With T anytime on Blueberry, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, or Google Music. New shows will continue to drop each Monday. But in the meantime and in between time, subscribe to Talking With T Daily, the online daily newspaper to get your daily scoop of trending news and find out what we're talking about. On that note, I'll end with a quote. Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. Harriet Tubman. Remember where you heard the word and keep the peace until next week. You've been listening to Talking With Tea.